Well, yes, it is Love Life Celebrate today, and it is this great, it's becoming an annual tradition for us to gather and to celebrate the love life of our congregation, the love that's given to us by God, and the love that we get to share with one another, and the love that we get to share with the world, and so uh, it's always good to celebrate that God had that idea to bring us together to do that. Uh, and it's also an opportunity each year for us to um, recommit ourselves to that mission, to that love life uh, in whatever form or fashion, whether it's through our own gifts of time and talent or also through our gifts of our financial resources. So later in the service, uh, during the singing of our last hymn, you'll be invited to come forward, walk forward. We're going to feel like Baptists. We're going to walk forward and put your pledge cards in the baskets there as a way of committing your life to the ministry and mission of our church. I realize some of you uh, thought that you were supposed to put those in the baskets on the way in, uh, which is perfectly fine. Um, those are the ones we count double. No, I'm only kidding. Um, but uh, you also have a blank card in there, and if you would like to just simply visibly show your support, even though you've already done that in other ways, feel free to bring that blank card up there and put it in the basket and that uh, reminds us that we're all in this together. So that will happen during our, uh, our last hymn. And so we, uh, and if you're not ready to make that decision and you want to take some time, please do so. Pray about it, what the good Lord is leading you to do. And we invite you to send that in or bring it next Sunday or the Sunday following. So on this Transfiguration Sunday, our text today comes from Matthew chapter 17. Hear the word of God. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became bright as light. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Author Anne Lamott, in one of her many wonderful books about faith and life, talks about prayer and suggests that prayer can be boiled down to three simple words, and those three simple words are, in a way, prayers themselves. The three words are help, thanks, and wow. Help, 
thanks, and wow. Because there are times right in your life when all you can think to do is to cry help. And there are times in your life when all you can think to say is thanks. And there are times in your life when all you can do is exclaim wow. And and in each of these times, help, thanks, wow, you are realizing that you are in a moment that is somehow beyond you. You you need help from beyond you. you. You say thanks to someone or something beyond you. You you exclaim wow to some experience that has been beyond you. And all this makes me think of an old small group question I've used a hundred times. Most of us pastors have used this question a hundred times to get groups of people to talk about themselves. And the question is this. If you could go back in time, what person would you most want to talk to? I'm sure you've heard this question before. Now, I realize that posing that question now puts me at the risk of you not listening to another word I say. (laughs) But that's okay. As I think back, I've had lots of answers to that question over the years. And the people I've been curious most to talk to have usually in their story one of those three experiences. Help. Thanks. Wow. For example, if I could go back in time, I'd like to talk to my grandfather, my mother's father, Robert Campbell. And I'd like to talk to my grandfather because it wasn't until after he had died, he died when I was 11, that I learned that he had fought in the trenches of World War I. He had joined the army, trained somewhere in Ohio, cabled for his fiancée, my grandmother, to come to Columbus so that they could get married before he shipped out to a war from which he knew there was a good chance he would not from which he would not return. I like to know from him a lot of things. And I'd especially like to know what experience, what that experience of life and death was like. Did he at some point say, help? Did he at another point say, thanks? Did he at another point say, wow? If I could go back in time, I'd like to talk to Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon. I'd like to find out from him what it was like to be 239,000 miles away from home and stepping foot on a surface never before trodden upon with no idea, really, that the craft that brought you was going to get you home. Did you at some point say help? At another point say thanks? And at another point say wow. If I could go back in time, I'd like to talk to a girl whose name I will give as Diana. Diana was the only black student in my 2000 student high school. His family had, her family had broken the color barrier of the town, the first black family to become residents of our city to the great protest of hundreds. I'd like to know what it was like to walk into school the first day as a ninth grader and to learn that she didn't have a locker because they were afraid of where to put her. Did she say, help? And I'd also want to know what it was like when some ninth grade white girl a few days later invited her to be her locker partner. I'd like to know from Diana what all that was like and how did that experience shape her. If I could go back in time, I'd like to talk to the small group of people who were in the room that night. 
when we were summoned by a young couple with whom we were all friends who had learned that the child she was carrying was found to have a genetic disorder that would cause this child to be born with serious complications. We were summoned by this expectant mother and father to lay hands upon the belly of the mother-to-be and to ask God to intercede. Several months later, she gave birth to a perfectly normal baby boy. I prayed for a lot of people over my ministry, and nothing like that has ever happened, not before, not after. Often it appears after I pray that really nothing has happened, which might cause you to think twice about asking me to pray for you. So I'd like to go back and talk to those people who had hands laid upon that mother and ask what they made of all that. How did that experience shape them? Help. Thanks. Wow. Finally, if I could go back in time, I'd like to talk to Joy Davidman Gresham, the wife of C.S. Lewis. You knew Lewis would make his way into the sermon somehow. Joy David McGresham, the woman whom C.S. Lewis met and married late in life, considered at an early age to be a child prodigy, attended Hunter College in New York City at the age of 14, shared a prestigious poetry prize at the age of 23 with Robert Frost. For a time, she reveled in her associations with the Communist Party and took pride in her atheism. But then life began to fall apart. Her husband had deserted her and left her alone to care for her two young boys. They had no income, she was at wit's end, said she. All my defenses, the walls of arrogance and cocksureness and self-love behind which I had hid from God went down momentarily and God came in. That night, there was a person with me in that room, directly present to my consciousness, a person so real that all my previous life was by comparison mere shadow play, and I myself was more alive than I had ever been. It was like waking from sleep. I think I must have been the world's most astonished atheist. If I could go back in time, I'd like to talk to Joy about that experience. Help. Thanks. Wow. You know, to be human, To be body, mind, and spirit means invariably that we are a collection of stories of what shall we call mysterious transcendence. Things have happened to us and things that have happened within us that feel as if they've come from beyond and prompt the words, help, thanks, wow. Now, it wasn't until this week when I camped out in Matthew 17 and read over and over again this story of the transfiguration that I realized that this is another one of those stories that I'm adding to my list of if I could go back in time. If I could go back in time, I'd like to sit down with Peter and James and John and ask them about what this experience was like when Jesus selected those three out of the 12 and led them up the mountain upon which they had this deeply mystical and mysterious and glorious and troubling and otherworldly experience of Jesus taking on a new and different essence and having a conversation with two of the great and dead prophets of Israel. There's so much I'd like to know. What was the experience like? What were the three prophets saying to each other? How would you describe their appearance? What was the voice from the cloud like? How did you feel? What did you say? Help! Thanks! Wow! And in the end, what difference did it make? 
And it makes me think of the story that Luke tells about the time when Jesus encountered ten lepers. And the ten lepers together call out, help! And they ask Jesus to heal them. Leprosy is the dreaded and believed to be at the time highly contagious skin disease that misshapes you and disfigures you. And they ask Jesus to heal them, and, and Jesus actually doesn't really do anything. He, he does nothing except to tell them to go show themselves to the local priest. And so on their way to show themselves to the priest, they look and notice that these sores and patches and disfigurements have left them. They're well. How do you understand that? I mean, what do you do with that? What do you say? And Luke says that, that nine of them just went on their way. But one of them went back. One of them went back to Jesus. One of them who had said help had gone back and said, thanks. Wow. So all this has got me thinking about the human heart, the human mind, the human soul, because one of the things I've come to believe is that we human beings, if we could go back in time in our own lives, would find stories of things that have taken place around us and within us that are significant. You know, whether we are an astronaut or an expectant mother or a trench-bound soldier or a scared ninth-grade girl, there are moments that come our way, that are, that are large enough that we can't quite put our heads and hearts around. Sometimes they're good things, sometimes they're bad things, sometimes they're both, sometimes they're bad things that lead to good things. Help, thanks, wow. And they're deeply personal, things we can't even put words to because they're mysterious and we can't quite make rational sense of them. Prayers we feel have been answered, wars from which we've been spared, a presence of some divine essence, an invite to be a locker partner, gratitude for the wheel of fortune that had spun our way, forgiveness we didn't deserve, a friend who showed up when we least expected. Things we can't quite explain, but that we have a sense that somehow, as small as we may feel in this big, big world, we have been enveloped by a greater reality, a greater being, a greater person, and life itself has been transfigured. And that this significant, this significant being, this significant person, has now lent me significance. Help. Thanks. Wow. In the spring of 1963, Admiral Hyman Rickover, the longest serving officer in the United States Navy ever in the history of the United States Navy, Admiral Hyman Rickover paid a visit to the then President John F. Kennedy, and in the meeting, he presented president, the president with a gift. It was a small plaque, and the plaque said this, O oh God, thy sea is so great, and my boat is is so small. Oh God, thy sea is so great, and my boat is so small. Interesting gift for an admiral to give to a president. Oh God, thy sea is so great, and my boat is so small. It's the beginning of an early 20th century poem by Winford Ernest Garrison that speaks to the enormity of life and the smallness we can feel inside it, except those moments when something happens to make us think that we really do count something significant that leads us, lends us significance. Kennedy kept the plaque on his desk for the rest of his life. 
Oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. Sometimes even presidents feel their tininess. Which makes me think of the story of the young pastor fresh out of seminary and equipped with the latest theological jargon. Went to visit a parishioner in a nursing home and along the way of their conversation, the pastor asked the parishioner, what is your ultimate concern? Borrowing a phrase from the eminent theologian Paul Tillich. What is your ultimate concern? He asked the man lying in the nursing home bed. Well, said the man, I suppose, my ultimate concern is that the ultimate is concerned about me. And so I suspect many, if not all of us, have had that question, is the ultimate concerned about me? And maybe also those moments that we can call perhaps mysterious graces when we sense that maybe, just maybe, the ultimate is concerned about me and that we have found our way to a place like this, like that leper bowing before Jesus, help, thanks, wow. Because maybe here, when we come here, we return to the source that as small as our boat may be upon the yawning sea, somehow there was a divine presence in our life that led us on. Every month when our session meets, an elder takes his or her turn to tell their story. We take 15 to 20 minutes at the beginning of every one of our meetings for an elder to go back in their own time to tell us about their own mountaintops or valleys or both the right turns and the wrong turns they've taken. It's the highlight of our meetings because in each of the stories there is a sense of a guiding hand, a nudging presence, a leading spirit that transfigures us and keeps our tiny boats afloat on the tempestuous seas. Help. Thanks. Wow. In a moment, we will sing our last hymn written by a Lutheran pastor who pastored during the Thirty Years' War and its ensuing plague that took from their little town thousands and thousands of souls. Martin Rinkart, who wrote, Now Thank We All Our God, another person I'd like to talk to someday if I could go back in time. We will, as we sing, now thank we all our God, we will be presenting our commitments to the Lord. And I suppose when we arise and make our way down the aisle to put our cards in these baskets, we are simply reenacting what one leper thought to do. Help, thanks, wow. Returning to the one who is the source behind our stories, the guiding hand, the nudging presence, the leading spirit who transfigures us and keeps all our ships afloat. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom this world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Help.